This is a Lip Media Podcast. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wulgarukaba, Bindle and Wurundjeri peoples. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Mm, Alright, welcome to Bookslut with Abby and Sam. This week it's my week and I have picked... Uh, actually, I don't really know how to theme this. <laughs> Christian erotica, I guess. I, Christian yeah. erotica. I mean, we all know what you're talking about when you say it. <laughs> the so, holiest of erotica. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of difficult to find something that I wanted that wasn't just like two nuns fucking, you know? This is a recurring thing that we talk about, right? Like, do you want the novelty where it's like a Christmas tree fucking a present? Or do you want <laughs> do you want actual erotica written for Christians? Is that the, what you yeah. were after? Yeah, so I was trying to find erotica written for Christians. So, you know, preferably by a Christian author who was writing with other Christians in mind. And instead I just got like, absorbed into this world of christian blogs where Mm. it was it was i mean the fundamental question was like should christians be reading erotica you know as in like are are they allowed to yeah is it is it um compliant with their beliefs yeah can you be a christian can you be a practicing christian and read erotica at the same time and it's I mean, obviously, there are people that are like, absolutely, you can. And people that are like, absolutely, you you cannot. And I find, like, the the arguments for and against so interesting. Like, this whole thing was so interesting to me about the way that we rationalize our sexuality and the way that we rationalize desire and what comes along with that. And we'll talk about it a bit more. But so I ended up I ended up reading this this short story called Reviving Leah. Mm. Um, so it's volume one of, I actually have no idea how many volumes. Um, I didn't get beyond volume one. <laughs> I mean, if it's anything like the Bible, I'm sure it will continue to go on and on. <laughs> um, and it was written in 2015. Uh, so relatively recent. And it starts with like, a note from the author, which was really interesting to read through this note. And I, I think, I guess we should probably, as we tend to do with these episodes, acknowledge our own biases up front. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, that seems like a good practice. <laughs> so I was raised Anglican. I think like my mum's family are pretty, uh, th- like they're practicing. They're what I would call practicing Anglicans. And when I was a kid, I went to Sunday school. I wasn't super like we didn't we didn't go to church every week or anything. But particularly as we got older, mum and dad definitely left it up to us to kind of decide what we wanted to do. And yeah, so I guess I was I was raised somewhat within the church, but not super religious. It never it was never really a massive part of my um how I made my decisions in my life. 
Yeah, look, I mean, you haven't, you certainly haven't come across as though it plays a huge <laughs> role <laughs> over the past, what, like 30 episodes or so. P.S. P- I'm actually really yeah. religious. <laughs> I've just done a really good job of hiding it. <laughs> what, a, what a plot twist. Um, I didn't grow up with religion at all, really. My mum grew up in like quite a strict Seventh-day Adventist upbringing and then left the church later on and pushed back against it quite quite strongly so by the time I came along that wasn't really much of a factor in in her life or my life but as I've said on previous episodes you know grew up in in quite like a sort of a spiritual environment more than a a religious one which you know there's plenty of arguments to get into there (laughs) but we won't um I do have one like very fond memory of going to like one youth church function <laughs> as a kid um, because my one of my best friends growing up was very religious and so I went along and I certainly wasn't for me but I just remember I loved there was so much singing and dancing yeah but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the religion I was into it was just the musical theater <laughs> yeah that's how they get you <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, and that's similar. Like, my, my memories of Sunday school is mostly based around their cinnamon rolls, you know. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, this is, this is great. But anyway, so <laughs> I guess, you know, we're not, we're not experts. We're not theologists. You Are know? we experts in anything? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good point. That's just if you general... came here looking for, like, an expert <laughs> opinion. <laughs> that's just a general disclaimer on every episode. <laughs> not experts and we should just change the title of the podcast (laughs) but anyway so um I was just interested in this area really I guess and and how people come to erotica and would write erotica um and reconcile that with their uh Christian belief from from what I was reading a lot of a lot of these people involved in it and also kind of debating about it tend to be more on the um conservative Christian side of things. Mm. I used to always say, you know, Anglicans are just kind of like a bit of the fun Christians. They always (laughs) seem to just not have as big of a deal about a lot of things than um, Catholics. And, you know, when you're going into Pentecostal and all of those, the different denominations. Anyway, Lexa Flynn, this author, starts this note saying that essentially her sexual relationship with her husband blossomed as her kids were getting older and she kind of attributes this sexual kind of reawakening with her husband to reading erotica together yes lexa (laughs) yes and she said the act of reading about couples having sex was a provocative eye-opener it set me free in the bedroom and she talks about how it challenged their conservative upbringing and the sexual ethics that they'd kind of grown up with um and she was already a bit of an author and so she decided like okay well maybe I'll turn my hand towards trying to write erotica and said you know she discovered that the situations and language of general erotica would turn off conservative readers um and her concern with that was like how can they experience an erotic awakening within their marriages if the stories make them uncomfortable Mm-hmm. And she said, how, how could I turn them on sexually without turning them off morally? I am so intrigued to hear how she has achieved <laughs> this. 
Especially like considering so many of the books we read, I'm neither turned on sexually <laughs> nor morally. <laughs> And Look, certainly not intellectually. <laughs> I don't think I would not say that this book turned me on per se. It did. It did send me down like a philosophical road. So I don't. Oh, like... I'm so here for this. <laughs> oh wait, I mean we're going we're going kind of back. I think this book is the closest I've come to like you know how we were talking about erotica used to be about also ideas. And, you know, these other things like there was a lot of ideas in this that I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, But essentially, she says, you know, the ways in her notes, she talks about the ways that she went about it, trying to do this. And one of them, no brainer, always a married couple. Um, Of course. No extramarital, you know, or unwed scenarios. Um. And then the other one is that there's no adult language other than anatomical descriptions. Okay. So essentially no cock, no pussy, no, you know, and I didn't miss it. You know, I don't know. Wait, so you're talking like you, she would say things like he put his penis inside her. Is that? Yeah. Kind of like. That's an anatomical description. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, she she says things like that, but she just isn't like, you know, fill me with your cock kind of vibes. It's definitely Balls not that deep. kind of vibe. <laughs> Balls deep. It's a little flashback for everyone. <laughs> so anyway, so that's that's the note, which I was already like, well, oh, this, is, this is intriguing. I am so intrigued. Tell me more. So this, the general story is, and I think we can finally award the most unsexy name award the um the story is about leah the woman and her husband doug (laughs) oh doug okay (laughs) all right and they met in high school and doug had this is like a quote doug had rescued her from those sex obsessed boys but had also become her greatest struggle the pri- and she essentially says the primary reason they married so early was because they wanted to have sex with each other. Well, I just assumed that that's the primary reason that most religious people marry early, is it not? I mean, I don't know, but I, I also assume this, but I'm like, maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe they like, I think there is just a general push to, to marry early, mm, you know? Yeah. This is the from from the book where she essentially does a rundown of their... Uh, childhood goings on they had been virgins when they finally tied the knot in college but just barely he definitely touched her breasts outside her clothing a time or two before marriage she'd caressed his (laughs) she'd caressed his backside through the seat of his pants more often than she could count especially especially while dancing or making out once She squeezed the erection she couldn't help but notice beneath his jeans, her palm tight against it, her fingers finding its stiff edges. That feeling alone surged from her hand in a delicious thrill, rippling through her body, landing in a pool of heat between her own legs. Even today, she shuddered to think of that moment. Just one touch had brought her to a tiny orgasm. (laughs) Jeez. I mean, look, so... I think there is definitely something to be said for, like, 
delayed gratification and then that can be really fucking hot um (laughs) i don't know about delaying till marriage i mean obviously (laughs) but but i think um as far as erotica goes i think there is something that you know she's clearly playing with here this whole like that building of desire and suspense like i think that's i mean i think that's great yeah and she says and then she describes this other time that they were uh essentially dry humping each other and they both orgasm oh i can feel the sexual frustration (laughs) like i remember being a teenager and like not doing things but like really really wanting to (laughs) yeah and so and so this thing is that essentially what's happened is that they've gotten married they've had kids and their sexual relationship has pretty much petered out and so now is this quite autobiographical from what it sounds like oh yeah probably yeah Yeah. probably okay so now they're going to a sex therapist oh cool and and so much of it and so much of this story is built around guilt and shame Mm. right Mm -hmm. and so she says you know after this time where they're dry humping each other and they're not married at this point they're dry humping each other they both come and then she says those stimulating and fun in the moment those experiences brought complex emotions into their relationship guilt shame the feeling of failure of having let god down yep yep so she talks about in this part she talks about struggling with going from being unwed young people who are being told that sex is shameful to then becoming a married couple and being told that sex is a beautiful thing to experience with your partner yeah i mean i imagine that would be quite huge like whiplash to have been brought up hearing the message over and over and over again that it's dirty that it will make you you know unwanted and unclean and then what suddenly like a flip of one day and you're supposed to and supposed to enjoy it and it's supposed to be this beautiful thing that's that that would be immensely challenging yeah exactly and there's this line in it where she says she hated herself for loving sex too much as a teenager and as a married adult she hated herself for not loving it enough Mm, mm, you kind of there's no winning (laughs) there's no winning in this and I'd honestly like I I had never thought about that you know because you think about young religious couples who get married early and you're like ah ha ha you're getting married so that you can fuck but you don't think about the fact that they've had literally a lifetime of conditioning thinking that sex is shameful it's something to be to feel guilty about and then suddenly being told the opposite yeah yeah i read quite a few like personal accounts that were in some news articles about this kind of idea and one of the other things that came up is that if they're grown up in schools that don't have any sex, sex education beyond like the bare minimum or teaching abstinence only sex education, then suddenly you 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 do get married and then you have no idea about a the mechanics of sex and how to make that work and how to make it enjoyable for both of you, but b like the the health side of it. So you're suddenly just kind of like thrust into the deep end with no idea (laughs) thrust (laughs) thrust (laughs) i think it's also it's also interesting we have this um i guess it's a trope i don't know or like it be it becomes a joke leveled towards people who are religious um you know um oh it's always that thing about that religious girl who's a virgin but has had anal sex 
Mm-hmm. Or you know, you know this kind of weird joke that gets thrown around in pop culture a lot around what is morally okay. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just read a, a book unrelated to this uh, podcast, but I just read a book called Sex and Lies, which was a collection of essays about sexual politics of Morocco. And that that idea of girls and women having anal sex in order to avoid being, avoid losing their virginity, because, you know, obviously like we've discussed, we've discussed virginity at length and how there are issues with that term, but you know, using it in the, in its uh, sort of traditional context here, um, yeah, they w- would would practice anal sex instead to avoid being classed as unpure. So it's, I mean, it's a really common thing, I think, that happens across various religions. From a lot of what I was reading around the debate around whether Christians can read erotica, I very much think that the women who are saying we can't read erotica are also probably not the ones who are having anal sex on the sly. Um <laughs> They're probably not looking for loopholes. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like this interesting idea of absolutely no access to sex education because also your parents aren't talking to you about sex. And it's actually interesting. One of the things that I was reading was about this book called Addicted to Lust. I don't know oh. if you came across this at all. It's It was written in 2019 and it's... Um, Addicted to Lust, Pornography and the Lives of Conservative Protestants. And it's about the pornography consumption of conservative Protestants. And it's saying, you know, 40% of conservative Protestant men under the age of 40 have seen porn in the last year. Even though this seems like a high number, it's it's lower than, you know, the national average or whatever. But uh, the Protestant community is thinks it's kind of like this massive addiction problem that they have in their community. And I saw it on this blog talking about it that was like, you know, these people having watching porn and then in brackets, yes, even pastors, you know. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, they are generally <laughs> in men. <laughs> like, um, But it was talking about how, you know, the zero tolerance policy for porn means that those who consume it consider themselves are more likely, statistically twice as likely, to consider themselves addicted to it as opposed to other Americans. Yeah, right. Well, well I mean, that, that makes sense, right? It's because it would be tied up into this idea of guilt and shame. Yeah, exactly. So- and then the other thing that they say that was really interesting is that it's like, even though they condemn men's use of porn, they also kind of see it as a habit of masculine gender identity. So it's like this thing of being a man and you have to kind of struggle against it, you know? Whereas for women who watch porn, it's just like ostracizing, you know, like they can't, it's just not in any way accepted in any form, even as something that you should be struggling against. It's just like quite outside of the realm of women's sexuality to watch porn. So if you're a conservative Protestant woman who does, then it's, you know, your isolation is just so immense. And then the other interesting stat they had was that the rate of divorces initiated by wives with the reason being their husband's porn use is more than double that of American women generally. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Oh, dear. (laughs) 
I mean, you know, for a group of people who are, you know, pretty conservative about sex, they're also fucking obsessed with sex. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so in this story, they're at the they're at the sex therapist, and the sex therapist says a few things that I just thought were kind of gems. And obviously, this woman who's writing erotica is obviously on the side of um, Christians can read erotica, right? I mean, I think, I think you can <laughs> yeah. <only agree>. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, her writing is going to include things about God's approach to sex and and all of this which because we don't think about god in our day-to-day lives (laughs) these so often i was reading this and i was like man that's a that's a real hot take on that so the sex therapist says (laughs) i believe god created sexual feelings just like he created the human body not just for procreation but for our pleasure those are gifts no reason to feel embarrassed about enjoying something that he gave you. Yeah, that's see, that's interesting. I also came across this a little bit in the uh, Christian blogosphere, which like <laughs> I love the places this podcast takes us. Like, I know, God, I oh, I know, um, and yeah, similar ideas being like, well, you know, God created the orgasm. How can it be sinful? Which, like, sure. If that's, you know, what you believe in, like whatever, whatever makes you feel like you're worthy of orgasming because everyone is. Um, But then it's all the rules around it. Like it's this beautiful thing that God created, but you can only enjoy it in certain circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And even kind of thinking about it. I mean, this is the this is the anti erotica side of it is that the act of thinking about it is being disloyal and is um, taking you off God's path. Because the Bible sets out very specific rules around your sexual engagement. And if you are watching porn, then you are lusting after this other situation that is outside of God's plan. Which is just, it's so fascinating. I just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I find the whole, like, the the thought itself is sinful and and that... Because some of the other things that came up like in one um, site that was defending it was like, it's fine, you know, having strong desire for sex isn't a sin as long as you desire it with your spouse and as long as it doesn't make you like covet other people's activities, like as long as you're not wishing for something that you don't do with your spouse. And I was like, wow, putting these limitations around human desires is is pretty like, I mean, it's bizarre to me because I'm not thinking about it, but like, I could just try to put myself in that position and be like, you're like having a wank or whatever. Well, probably not having a wank <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting on the train daydreaming. And, you know, there's just like some, some real like thought police ha- stuff happening here. Like is the idea that God would be able to hear it? Is that the. No, I, I don't think very many Christians believe that God is listening in to every single thought that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope not. <laughs> I think the idea is that there is a certain uh, way of life that you should be following and there is a certain path that you should be taking and that you, throughout your life, will be faced with various temptations and that 
you know, the temptations are the work of the devil, essentially, and that by prayer and by studying the Bible, you will find the guidance to choose the right path of those temptations. Oh, man. man, I tell you what, it sounds like so much work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I mean, life is hard enough <laughs> as it is. <laughs> I read this other thing that was essentially saying like part of the issue with erotica is that even if it leads to you and your partner having better sex, you're essentially the reason it's done that is because you have been wanting something that your partner hasn't given you. And Mm. so therefore that is you're still wrong, you know, like you're still. Oh, you really can't win. (laughs) But, you know, obviously there are so many problems with this idea of essentially thought police and and um, infringing on the way people, even just like their desires and things they might not have any control over. But the thing that I kept on thinking was like, man, to be like inverted commas good Christian, it is so much reflection on your choices and your actions all of the time. You would think that that would mean that maybe there wouldn't be so many wild atrocities done <laughs> yeah. by the church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, or incredibly bigoted people. You would you would think. Mm. But, <laughs> you know, like this idea of, I don't think it's, um, I guess one of the things about religion that I like is this idea of having to consider your actions and the consequences of your actions Obviously, some of these consequences I don't agree with, but like, <laughs> but there's a general I, I, rule. I do wonder as well, like, yes, but also how much of that is sort of like a rote script? Like how much of that is like, oh, I had a sinful thought. That is bad. I cannot think that thought rather than actually critically like self-reflecting, you know, like, yes, it's good to ref- to be like doing self-reflection, but not if you're just perpetuating the same stuff over and over again like that's not actually self-reflection yeah i also think like having i mean if you're going straight from the bible it's kind of like let's just take it with a pinch of salt shall we just take it with a bucket of salt let's all get into the salt and roll around um speaking of the bible before you go back to the story uh you know just bring it back to this idea of sex being a beautiful thing that god has created uh did you do much reading about the song of solomon oh my god it kept on coming up and i was like is this is this like the sex bible no essentially i didn't (laughs) i I didn't but it kept on coming up on these things where it was like oh if you ever feel like you want to read erotica just read the song of solomon or whatever and i was like what the fuck is the song of solomon well i'll tell you what I went and read part of the Song of Solomon because okay. I was curious. Um, so essentially it is a book of the Old Testament and it does Ugh. celebrate sexual love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially like a series of lyrical poems that are kind of like this ongoing dialogue between a woman and her lover with like a chorus who pop in every now and then to like... In my mind, they're like the chorus from Hercules. I was about to say, it's always the chorus from Hercules. (laughs) Bless my soul, Hercules on a roll. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I like to imagine it. (laughs) Again, musical (laughs) theatre. And it's kind of like, I mean, I didn't read all of it because 
it is long. (laughs) But there's like a lot of stuff in there about like fertility and the fertility of the earth being dependent on sexual encounters and like humans, human fertility and and the human race being dependent on it. Um, Sexy. Yes. (laughs) But there there were some bits that stood out to me. So like, for example, at the beginning, it starts off with, with the woman and she's like, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Saucy. Mm. Um, I mean, it's there's something to, you know what we haven't done? Poetry erotica. We haven't. I would have to work on my poetry reading skills. <laughs> For that, no, you had me along. You had me along on the journey. I liked it. Oh, thank you. I like. Uh, next time somebody jizzes anywhere, I'm going to be like, "Your anointing oils <laughs> must yeah. be cleaned up. Please take it into the laundry. <laughs> that shit stains." <laughs> um, and then later it goes on, and this stuck out to me because uh, it's the the man saying this part. He's going on to the woman about how beautiful she is. And he's like, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats (laughs) leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn eels. Eels? Eels? Is that what a female? E-W-U's? Yeah. (laughs) Ewes. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. Bar M U. She be true. It's you. Um, blah blah blah. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate. And I was like, was this written by Rocky Flintstone for one? <laughs> Literally the only part of that that made sense was the pomegranate thing. Cause I'm assuming that's just like rosy and whatever, but like I mean, are you saying that the hair like a flock of goats didn't make sense <laughs> like goats are notoriously very coarse f- wooled <laughs> beasts um, and also don't like don't people hate goats because they're like cloven hooves yeah, or something they, isn't aren't that they a, emblems of the, the I devil <laughs> I mean we're no experts Sam. <laughs> <laughs> anyway it goes on and on and on and it's like I, I know it's supposed to be like beautiful but also i was like mate Just what about her intelligence <laughs> <laughs> wow i see where your priorities are <laughs> we went in two very different directions <laughs> so he's just like she's real hot it's essentially a poem yeah right essentially <laughs> that's all that women are good for abby you have to remember <laughs> that and and fertility like a beautiful vessel. Ugh. Um, so we might take a break and then come back and do the next part of the story. Cool. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mm, 
The next part gets sexy, Sam. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> so they're at the therapist. They're chatting through their issues. It's all very lovely. And the therapist is asking these questions like, do you have sex in any position other than missionary? No. Do you have sex with the lights on? No. Do you ever use toys? No. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oof. Oh. <laughs> oh, and then she asks, you know, do you always come? Yes for him. No for her. <laughs> oh. oh, no. But anyway, so she says, all right, well, I'm going to prescribe you with some activities. Essentially, you need to, like, work on this. My prescription is you need to have sex every day. Great. It's a lot, though. Like, and it's like, even if you don't feel like it. I mean, homework isn't supposed to be fun, Abby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, you would get along really well with this sex therapist. (laughs) Anyway, so then they're so then they're driving home and they're kind of and they're talking about it. Leah talks about how she felt the first time she touched his penis th- through the jeans in this little like when she had a little mini orgasm, and he's like, "Oh, you know, tell me about it." And she's goes silent. And he's like, "No, actually, you know, tell me about it." She describes her orgasm in this way that I genuinely loved. Like, I mean, it wasn't sexy, but I just thought out of all the descriptions that I've now read about having an orgasm, this is the one that I was probably like, yeah, that's, that's like what it feels like. Right. So she says, it was like a warm water balloon was expanding inside my stomach, getting bigger and hotter. And then it popped and sent a whole flood of heat through my body. Well, there you go. And I was kind of like, that is kind of, you do get that like, yeah. Like the that, build. like swelling. Yeah. yeah, like I, yeah, it's accurate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, not like super sexy or whatever, but I was like, yeah, okay. Anyway, and then he pulls over, and she's like, realizes that he's hard, and they make out in the car in the car park, and she's like, man, I could almost, you know, have sex with my husband in the car park, but obviously they don't because. We're not quite there yet. Baby steps. I wonder if volume eight is just them like going to a sex dungeon, you know? like I hope so. <laughs> I hope it like progresses to that point. <laughs> so they're making out in the car and then she's all like, take me home, Doug. Take me home. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Doug. Doug. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Uh, apologies for the Dugs out there, but could can you sexily... Talk to a dog. I was about to try it. I can't. <laughs> Even like being like, uh, Doug. <laughs> like, yeah. uh. Go, yes, Doug. Yes. <laughs> no, stop it. Anyway, so she's like, take me home, Doug. Take me home and take me to bed. And then, then there's this like little side note where she's like, we've got 45 minutes before I need to pick up the kids. So we're good to go. <laughs> But anyway, and then they have sex during the daytime, which they haven't done since they were like on their honeymoon. And I was like, that's lovely. Beautiful. And also she says things like, he has the same familiar light cologne he'd been wearing since they first dated. They started dating when they were teenagers. Oh my God. Is he still wearing like like, Lynx Africa? (laughs) That's... Yeah, that's that's not okay. You need to upgrade. <laughs> or was he like one of those teenagers that wears like legit cologne and thinks that they're cool? Like, oh, <laughs> neither option no. is good. No, Grow they're both up. bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then she makes this comment about how she's self-conscious, like when, when they're getting undressed and whatever, which is another thing we haven't 
really spoken about on this on the podcast. She's she says she's she'd always been a little self conscious about her large pink nipples. She thought they mm. were too pale for her skin tone and too big. And I was like, huh, we really do not discuss in sexual conversations in general how different everybody's nipples are. Oh, they're so varied. And I can relate to this sentiment because I've always been very self-conscious about my nipples, having really big boobs. Mm. The nipple, the, the areola area <laughs> is also like big. They're proportionate. Um, and it's, yeah, I think we, there's so much, so much of the imagery we see are these like perfectly, like little, pert, little, oh, little, hello <laughs> nipples. But you know what I mean? Though? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. You just don't get that much variation. Something else that that makes me think of is like this idea, which is really pervasive in um, Christianity. And also I think, you know, it sort of seeps into just, you know, general collective mindset is this idea of women's bodies being inherently kind of sinful in that they tempt men into sin. And so I just, I wonder about like, it's so loud. What is that? Uh, it sounds like a car. It's a helicopter. There's so many of oh. them. And so, where was I? Oh, yeah. And so I wonder how much of the self-consciousness about her body is kind of tied to the shame of it being like this this lustful, overly sexualized thing that is the, you know, the, the reason for the demise of men. Yeah. Anyway, so there, so she's like taking her shirt off. She's all like, "Oh, my nipples," and then she seems to get over that pretty quickly because the next bit is still straddling her. He leaned into her cleavage. She knew what he wanted. Leah took hold of her breasts from the sides and pressed them into his face, smothering oh God, him with her body. <laughs> wow, I would. I was not expecting to check off motorboating <laughs> off my bingo card this episode. <laughs> And then he's, like, going at her breasts. And then she reached his belt, inserted her fingers into the waistline of his jeans, and yanked him forward. Doug, she said, her voice (laughs) quivering with enthusiasm. Doug. (laughs) Doug. It's like salad fingers. (laughs) Oh, no. No. I'm so right. That's so much more sexier. Doug. Doug. <laughs> but wait, it's it's it gets better. Doug, she said, her voice quivering with enthusiasm. Yeah, babe. He was almost panting. Do me. Nice. <laughs> Do me. Doug. Doug. Do me. Do me. Do me. And then, and then she keeps her skirt on and he's all like, skirt on. And she's like, yeah, let's keep the skirt on. Yeah, that's hot. I'm into it. Yeah, absolutely. She flipped the fabric up to give him another glimpse between her legs. It had been a few days since she'd trimmed, but she didn't care. Yes. (laughs) And then she says, do me like we're still in high school. Oh, is it allowed to, to fantasize about, like you're fantasizing about your spouse but you're fantasizing about your spouse when you weren't married? Is that allowed? Well, they have this conversation afterwards. They have a conversation about thinking about it when they were in high school and it wasn't allowed really turned her on. Um, Mm. So she says, you know, 
I was imagining us doing this like we were still in high school on top of my bed, like before we were married. It felt naughty. Is that bad? And he says, if it makes you react like that, no way it's bad. Well, using that line of argument, (laughs) I feel like that opens up a world of possibilities. (laughs) But then I have, oh, she does use the term manhood. I just realized it's not, it's not like penis. Manhood. Ugh. Mm, mm, yeah. Not a fan of that. But anyway, so so says plunging his manhood back inside her, then out slowly, then in again with a powerful motion. He wedged his hands between her backside and the comforter, clutching her behind as he thrusted in a tighter and tighter rhythm until, with an animal like grunt, he climaxed inside her. Doug's body bucked in a rapturous spasm. Did she come though? Well, That was her cue. She imagined his ejaculate streaming against the walls of her vagina. Felt it. (laughs) Sorry to everyone who's like aroused by that, but (laughs) I mean, I have never once, when somebody has jizzed inside me, I have never once imagined their jizz inside of me. And I mean, I've never done it. But also, I don't think I would be turned on by it. Mm, mm. I, I try not to think about, like, the realities of their little tiny swimmers <laughs> yeah. trying to, like... Like, the physical reality of it is, like, why? No, I don't want to... I don't want to think about... I don't want to visualize your sperm. <laughs> anyway. Apparently, she's into it. Felt its warm pooling, and suddenly the sparks between her legs turned into flames. Fuck A- off. <laughs> She's coming imagining the pool. No. She's coming feeling his jizz. Get fucked. I'm sorry. I draw the line. (laughs) Even God's powers are not that strong. And then. It's blasphemous. And then. then, She had no idea how long it lasted. Seconds? Minutes? But when she opened her eyes, Doug was propped up above her, resting on his elbows. His eyes shined. Was he crying? What the? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. so my note here that I have says the story finishes. Doug cries and she prays. <sighs> and that's essentially the end. She oh, says, um, Thank you, she thought, a silent prayer forming in her mind. Thank I mean, you. look, if God can't read thoughts, then how's he going to get that message? Well, I mean, you're so right. It says, thank you for this gift. She felt a bright flutter in her chest of hope, of joy, of grateful satisfaction. I mean, I get a, f- a flutter after a good orgasm, but normally it comes through like clearal stimulation. <laughs> No, okay. I I take real issue at the end of that. I <laughs> I you had me and you lost me real I hard. Know. Yeah, no, I also I also got a little lost in the end there. But um, here's a question. This is I mean maybe we should put a content warning about blasphemy. But um, would you for all our <laughs> for all our religious listeners, would you bang Jesus? Oh my god. You know what's a threesome I would be I would be tempted by? Mm. Jesus, mm. Mary Magdalene, 
and myself. Wow. What a threesome. <laughs> I would absolutely bang Mary Magdalene. A hundred percent. Yeah. What a, what a, what a coy strategic bitch, you know, like I, I'm into it. Yeah. No, I would definitely bang Mary Magdalene. I would probably bang Judas over Jesus. Oh, Judas. He's got like some like real, he's the bad boy. energy. He's yeah. the biblical bad boy. He's got big dick energy all up in yeah. this. Like you just, you betrayed the son of God. Like that is, that is a mic <laughs> You are not, moment. you are not fucking around. <laughs> You were like, you were like up there with the guy that stabbed Caesar in the back. Was it Brutus? Oh, Brutus. Yeah, I would absolutely bang, bang Judas. Absolutely would bang Mary Magdalene. Would also bang the other Mary. Maybe not while she's pregnant. The Virgin Um, Mary. Yeah. Why? You know (laughs) that she's like, she is a little kinky minx on the sly. Like she came up with this really, really good cover <laughs> so yeah why not yeah i mean okay that's fair i mean i mean that's, in a barn hello that's pretty much that's pretty much all of the uh disciples that i know judas i'm sure there's a john and a mark and a you know like but i don't know them personally Surely. I just... well that that took a what about god would you fuck god ah i mean is god a woman probably you know I mean, I feel like it would be a weird line to draw if you're like, I will fuck a cloud, but I will not fuck God. <laughs> I would fuck almost... I don't think there is an actor who has played God that I would not fuck. Ooh, except for Steve Buscemi. And I, <laughs> I, you know what? I would fuck Steve Buscemi. Whoa. <laughs> this I is do. like... This is gr- some groundbreaking content <laughs> we're creating right now. I just feel like... I feel like he'd be fun. That's all. I also feel like it would be a real laugh. Like yeah. I feel like he would just have a really good time of it. Yeah, no, I feel like it'd just be it'd just be good. But anyway, circling back, we've gone off track. <laughs> gone off track. Essentially, we were talking about you know read these blogs, blah blah blah. I wanted to put forward this uh, the argument of one of the women who was anti erotica, and a lot of it is based on this idea of sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, you know, we define morality by God's will. And so sexual immorality is anything that goes against God's will for our sexuality. And to find God's will, you go to the Bible and you go to all of these things. And she says, the obvious, the obvious ones for God's will is sex is to be shared between a husband and a wife. After you are married, you should not have sex with others. And then she says, even if your spouse says it's okay. She's specifically talking about that. While married, and this is Corinthians, and I just like, I feel like everything bad I've read, where I'm like, that's upsetting to me as a person and a woman, comes from either Corinthians or Leviticus. And so Mm -hmm. this is an eyebrow raise for me. But anyway, so the first two were Genesis and Exodus. And then the last one is, while married, sex should be frequent and no one should have veto power. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Oh no. Oh dear. Ah, I'm struck by it being mandated that it should be common. I mean, that it, like, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Given that it was written by a man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and she also says that there are some less obvious ones. She makes an argument that sex should only be shared with your spouse. And this means that you can't have solo masturbation because you are experiencing sexuality without your what spouse. About, what about masturbation being a pathway to God? Hmm? Hmm? What about that? I mean, what's your argument for that? There's no my biblical argument background. Is that, my argument for that is that God created the orgasm and the orgasm is is magical and we should find <laughs> pathways to the magic of God. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. And, and I'm sure people argue that. Um, but So wait, so, her, so she was compiling these arguments against reading erotica because of these air quotes facts. Yes. Because essentially you are, um, because she's saying erotica is pornography. That's kind of her assumption that she's basing this argument on. She says erotica and pornography are the same thing. Well, someone hasn't done their homework because (laughs) there's quite a lot of literature that says otherwise. (laughs) We accept as Christians that pornography is immoral because you are watching, you are lusting after a person who is not your spouse. And so even though these are fictional characters you are lusting after people who are not, you know, are not your spouse. Mm, And she mm. says, you know, people say it helped our sex life. And her argument to that is that intimacy and people's sex lives should be internally driven. And this is just like a temporary boost. It's just a, it's an external factor that you're using that is, you know, not essentially like a drug. You're just going to have to keep on going back to it. And it'll progressively get more and more, like, deviant, I imagine, and more and more immoral, like, because you keep wanting to hit that pleasure button. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, (sighs) and she's saying, like, people say, you know, it's okay if it's it's a married couple, and her response is like, is it okay if it's a video of a married couple? Which I think is actually a very clever argument. Like, if you, if you say... Well, it's okay to read erotica if it's about a married couple, but you still wouldn't watch porn knowing that it's a married couple. Like, I think there's something there to be like, actually, well, what is the difference? Well, I mean, I would argue that if it's a fictional married couple, there is something to be said of, like, projecting yourself into that character's position, which is probably still sinful, sinful, but... um, but if it's like if it's pornography, it's a video of a married couple. Then that to me seems like there's more room for actually lusting after the person in the video mm. rather than reading about a character which is fictional, so not a real person, but also could actually just act as a vehicle for yourself and your partner. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good argument. I should probably write to her. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think she'd be real open to hearing your opinions. <laughs> but anyway, and then she and then she goes to like, what's the difference between reading the Song of Solomon or this blog, which is about you know sex issues within Christianity, and reading a Christian erotica? And she's like, it's intent. I do not intend to arouse you, um, which she does not. So well <laughs> she, done. She was accurate. <laughs> I was not aroused. <laughs> But I think, like, it's 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 such a space. Like, you know, one of the first things I sent to you was this YouTube video of these two... Yeah, that was... These two women talking about erotica. And they were two young Christian women 
who one of them was married, one of them wasn't, and were just so like, it's a sin, don't read it, you are on the path to whatever, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that video I found like quite striking because it was recent and they are quite young and I just, it's just such a completely different world to the one that I live in. Um, But what I found really funny um, and sad at the same time actually about that video (laughs) was that the married woman was making the point that it can that by engaging with this kind of material this kind of erotic material that you could actually end up making yourself unhappy in your married life because you're creating a desire for something that cannot be fulfilled and it's just like oh girl (laughs) my heart breaks for you like you're telling on yourself and your terrible marital sex right now like i think that's fundamentally it right the, there are people who are like this improves our sex life because we get ideas and we particularly when you're coming from a culture that doesn't talk about sex like where are you going to find anything other yeah. than just you know the the go-to missionary kind of vibes and then there are the people who are saying like oh well it it makes you lust after this thing. It makes you think that your partner is not satisfactory. I think that's kind of part of it. Like it, it makes you makes you think about something that your partner's not currently doing. And it's like, okay, well, but then they can do it. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it seems like a path to making it satisfactory. Um, so something that I looked into a little bit, which I, I think is really interesting, is purity culture. Mm. And, and in particular, this idea of extreme ac- abstinence. Have you heard about extreme abstinence before? No. <laughs> it is what it sounds like. Isn't like abstinence is extreme. What is exactly, it, right? What's extreme abstinence? It's essentially a subculture of like quite extremely conservative Christians and and um, evangelical Christians and and it's all about promoting sexual abstinence prior to marriage, which of course is a is a that's pretty standard. Um, but it kind of goes beyond ideas of sex to promote you know ideas about how women should be particularly subservient to men and about male authority about women how women should not pursue leadership roles should not speak up too much around company and things like that so it kind of like takes it to a a broader level Mm. and for women it also means being responsible for the boys and for the men and being responsible to not tempt them towards sin, which again is kind of like an idea that comes up a bit um, already, but it's like heightened in this in this uh, sort of extreme abstinence purity culture. And something that struck me like straight off the bat was like kind of like what you were saying before, like I think it's kind of easy or it happens a lot to sort of poke fun at the idea of um, these kinds of ideas and, and religion and, and whatnot being in our like lefty liberal <laughs> circles. Yeah. It's pretty, you know, that happens a lot. But I think the reality is, is that these ideas come out to play much more broadly than just in conservative religious circles. Like these ideas t- like directly tie into victim blaming mm. and, and like traditional gender roles oh, and I mean, inequality in the workplace. Like our entire legal and political system is a judeo-christian system like like it was created in a time where religion was massively influential in politics and yeah we're we're a secular country now but our 
founding principles are based off Christian principles. And like, I mean, we still have, we still absolutely have people in positions of power who are pushing air quotes family values, which are just really masked Christian values. Yeah, exactly. And when we talk about, you know, Australian values and there I'm talking about white Australia. Again, it's it's Christian. Like that yeah. is that's what we're that's what we're putting forward. That's what people are talking about. They don't say it because in Australia, I think in some ways, unlike the US, like secularism is such an important thing to so many people, whether or not they, you know, call it secularism, but the idea that our politics is separate from from the church mm. mm-hmm. is so important to people that often it gets hidden. And people don't realize that a lot of our morality and a lot of our legal framework still comes from these really Christian values. And so what we consider to be right has come out of Christian values, which means that we're still taking on these, even if you have nothing to do with religion, you're yeah. still taking on these values in your like day-to-day life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even now, and we won't go into it because... <clears throat> We'll be here forever, but like even now at the moment, I'm working in around this online safety bill, and it's all about questioning, you know, what should and shouldn't be online, and it comes back down to the national classification code, which comes back down to this moral decision making. You know, it's uh, it's wild. Anyway, purity culture, <laughs> um, it really like reinforces this. And so we're talking about things like purity rings that girls will wear from the age of 16 until they get married. Um, and then they gift it to their husband as like a, a, a symbol of their purity, their virginity. And it's like losing your virginity is framed as a direct way to like lose your faith. Like other sins you can bounce back, confess yeah, you could bounce back, but if you lose your virginity, you're fucking done, you know? <laughs> so there's this book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which is written by Joshua Harris. And it's essentially, it looks it looks like a romance novel. Like the cover looks like a romance novel. And it really, you know, I was reading these things written by these women who read it and, you know, adopted it as like their doctrine essentially this joshua harris guy was seen as the prophet of purity culture and it goes beyond just not having sex but not dating like not being involved at all and like very rigid rules about what you can and can't do um to have to lead a pure life under purity culture i wonder and i wonder about that because it's to me it's like quite a dangerous thing to do to just like completely opt out of these situations that are the situations that you learn from Mm. in your later life and and the ways you react to people and and the things that you think are appropriate and that are not appropriate you know you become an adult who hasn't had any of these experiences yeah and that's and that's not that's not necessarily like having sex you know have have sex when you want to but limiting interactions with people and like all of the restrictions is yeah well one thing that i read was this woman who described how she essentially stayed within a sexually abusive partnership for years because she so deeply believed that because they had had sex that no one would want her after that because she was and i quote disgusting garbage 
And that oh. directly came from the culture that was built around this book, which is deeply harming. Mm. But then what happened is Joshua Harris, who was 21 when this book was published, turned around in 2018 and denounced all of this stuff. And so now there's this big outpouring happening of all of these women who have completely bought into this uh, ideology. And now they're like, the fuck? Like you just <laughs> left? <laughs> and um, he was like, <clears throat> he posted a statement and he was like, to those who read my book and were misdirected or unhelpfully influenced by it, I am sincerely sorry. And I was just like, that is such a fucking cop out. Like <laughs> he sold over a million copies of this book and had immense influence on purity culture, especially in the US. Um, but also in Australia, there's a, there's quite a quite a bit of it in Australia as well. And then just was like, oh, whoops, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, what happened to all that money? Donate it to a women's shelter or something. Yeah. Anyway, there's there's a lot out there that documents like quite severe trauma and PTSD that these uh, women in particular, I mean, most of the stuff that I read was about women um, who, yeah, are like suffering deeply as a result of really toxic purity culture. And obviously, and we haven't we haven't spoken about it because you know we can't get to every topic on this. But obviously, you know this kind of rhetoric is incredibly harmful towards LGBTIQ people as well, and mm, yeah. trying to reconcile growing up with religion and um, being on God's path, and also being LGBTIQ plus. Um, it's obviously another just whole other podcast worth of discussion yeah, on something yeah, like totally. that but i think it's it comes back to kind of the things you were saying like i fundamentally i've grown up around a lot of really really beautiful examples of deeply religious people who are wonderful people and very important people in my life but i think part of the thing that i've noticed with all of the people in my life that are religious is that it's their faith and it's their belief and it's not about other people and it's not about what other yeah. people do and it's not you know like and it's not about these really strict rules about what is and is not a thing it's about reflection it's about essentially a lot of it is kind of prayer as meditation really um yeah and and that's you know that's that's just part of their life and that's great and like yeah. it can it can give people a lot of meaning Totally. And I don't want it to come across as though I'm being dismissive of that. The issue I, I have is when it's not, you know, your own personal mm. faith, your own personal practices, reflection, whatever gives you meaning in life, fine. But if you're actively pushing an agenda onto others, you know, that comes with consequences. Mm. And I mean, like religion as a community organization, as a community group is wonderful. But then you're then also getting into organized religion you know mm, mm. the vatican <laughs> just gonna just gonna drop the vatican in right at the end yeah they're definitely gonna i'm i'm sure they have like a google alert or something as soon as like anybody talks about them we're gonna like someone's gonna turn up at our door <laughs> we will be smoted smoted smited smoted smote smote we will be smote <laughs> Oh, <sighs> mm, books love.